0: I'm turning this morning to the 12th chapter of the book of Hebrews this morning, Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter number 12, and our text this morning will be the first four verses of Hebrews chapter 12, and we'll look at those first four verses, we'll read those, and then we will... Look to our subject this morning. Hebrews 12, verse 1, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which thus so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Our subject this morning is looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus. I love that hymn that we just sang, His Robes for Mine. It is one of the most doctrinally sound hymns you will ever hear. It talks about His propitiation. It talks about His vicarious suffering. It talks about the things in which He has done in order that we might have the righteousness required to stand and be acceptable before a holy God. Our righteousness, as the Bible declares, is as filthy rags. There is not enough good you could do. There's not enough good things you could say. There aren't enough good works that would allow you the privilege to stand before a righteous and holy God apart from the work and the sacrifice of what Christ has done. It truly is looking unto Jesus fully and completely in totality It isn't looking unto the church, looking unto my good works plus Jesus. It is looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Those who are in the faith, it is Jesus only. If you today are outside the faith, it is not your faith as of yet, but Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation. He's the only way remedy for the disease that we have he's the only remedy for the depravity that we are all born with there is no innocence we are born in sin we are conceived in sin we are in fact dead in our trespasses and sins and yet God has made a way God's made a way through Christ alone the author it originates the finisher Everything that is required for redemption is found in Jesus Christ. And as we look at this passage this morning, we are beginning to understand, really, as our study through Hebrews has brought us this far, now to the 12th chapter, verse 2 of this text really is the very bullseye, the very center of what the writer of Hebrews began this book talking about. We remember we're talking about the brightness of His glory and how in sundry times, and diverse manners, God was revealed, God was shown who He was, what He would be, what He would do. This is the bullseye. This is, this is the thesis, if you will. This is what the dissertation, to use that term, this is what it's been leading to. Looking unto Jesus. That's the target. That's the object of faith. The Lord Jesus Christ. These words are not a general statement to be considered. They're not a general statement to ponder, to think, is this for me? Is this what I want to be a part of? They are declared as the only antidote or the only remedy for a specific spiritual disease. And the spiritual disease that we all are born with is the disease of unbelief. And it is our sin that separates us from a holy God. It's not your economic status. It's not your family line. What separates you from a holy God is your sin. And it's my sin. It is a remedy. To go to a doctor and a doctor tells you you have something wrong and he tells you this is what you must do, this is what you must take. To deny that remedy is to deny your own healing. To understand that there is a remedy. There is an antidote for what is ailing every human being. It stands to reason that if there is a remedy that we are to look unto, that means it is treating a real disease. Sin is not make-believe, folks. Sin is not something that is just bad things that we do. It is absolutely, positively, it is a transgression and a violation against God and His holy law. And we are all guilty before God in and of ourselves. We stand guilty, we stand condemned, we are deserving of the wrath of God, and there is no two ways about it. But there is a remedy. There's a remedy that is found in Christ and Christ alone. Obviously, if we're told to look unto Jesus and we're told that that's the cure of this ailment, then the ailment must truly be not looking unto Jesus. So what is ailing me today, if I am outside of the faith, what's ailing me is I'm not looking unto Jesus. I'm looking unto something, but I'm not looking unto Jesus. See, everybody here today believes something. Unbelief doesn't mean you don't believe in something. It just means you might be believing in the wrong thing. Everybody has convictions here today. We have things that we hold very dear to our heart. Unbelief is the unbelief that is not looking unto Christ. These verses really continue what we left in Hebrews chapter 11 as it was talking about those who died in the faith, it says in verse 38 of Hebrews 11, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all having obtained a good report through faith, we studied that phrase last week, received not the promise. The full fulfillment of that promise was the presence and the knowledge of Christ. God having provided some better thing for us, That they without us should not be made perfect. This better thing that's been revealed to us so clearly now is Jesus Christ. The Old Testament saint did not have a full picture and a full vision like you and I have. Today, there really is no excuse for unbelief in Jesus Christ. He has not done this in secret as we read in Isaiah 45. The declaration, there is none other than me. There is no gods but me. Look unto me and be ye saved. That is the remedy for your unbelief. Again, I'm not asking you to believe in this church and I'm not asking you to believe in me. Please, don't believe in me. But look unto Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith. At the end of chapter 11, as we just read, the writer is using examples of those who sometimes we refer to as these great heroes of faith. And it does teach us something about faith. Believing is difficult, but I will tell you this, believing can even be impossible if our belief or our lack of belief is governed by our circumstances or our conditions that's based upon our ability. In other words, if we just look at our conditions and we just look at our circumstances, belief is nearly impossible. But belief in Christ is not based upon your current condition in this world or your circumstances. No matter what your condition, no matter what your circumstances are, you're to look in the same place to the same person. You're to look to Christ. It doesn't matter what I'm facing today. The the, the condition is real. The circumstances are real. But if I look at my condition and I look at my circumstances, belief is nearly impossible. But these all that the writer made mention of, they died in the faith, not fully receiving the promise Now these believers that are being addressed in the book of Hebrews in this chapter 12 in these first few verses, it is clear that these believers now have something better than the Old Testament saints had. Under the Old Covenant, the Old Testament we understand, they were justified, sanctified, and saved in the same manner as we are by grace through the blood of Christ. There was no two ways of salvation. They were believing in the promises that were coming But again, as we've learned, they didn't have the view of Christ that you and I in this generation have. Again, the Old Testament saints did not have a completed copy of the authoritative word of God that declared, here is where salvation is found. And yet they believed. They believed and they had faith. We are, as the writer of Hebrews mentions to them, he says, seeing we also are. There's a reference to we. Now, we don't believe in universal salvation. I don't think there's anywhere in Scripture that teaches that ultimately at the end of this age, every single person is going to be saved and they're going to be in heaven. There is a very real place called hell. There is a very real place called heaven. It is palatable to our human reason and senses to think that there's got to be everybody is going to go to heaven. And somehow God gets the blame. God would not do. Yet here's the great problem. You won't believe. You won't look unto Jesus. You harden your heart, you're stiffen your neck, and you say, I will not believe. And yet, God has given us better things. God has clearly shown us the way. Yet, even in our day and age, despite seeing God's grace every single day, and by the way, you do see God's grace every single day. He actually pours out grace upon the unbeliever. He gives the the unbelieving atheist farmer, he gives him a crop. He puts puts crops in his field. He shows him grace. And even though that man turns around and shakes his fist in God and says, I won't believe in you, he'll say, look what I've done. Look what I've grown. Look at my success. Look at my field. And he's not even giving credit to who gave him that field. God gave him that field. The unbeliever and the believer alike There are no self-made people. What you have is by the sovereignty of God and He's provided and given to you. He's ordained your paths. And yet, we see God's grace every single day. We see His benefits. The psalmist talks about the benefits of God. talks about all the things, oh my soul, bless the Lord, oh my soul. He couldn't number the benefits. Yet in spite of God's grace, we often find ourselves, even as believers today, we find ourselves stalled in our faith. We should be moving forward, and yet we're not moving forward or back. We're just stalled. We know what God has done. We've seen what other people's price that they've paid. We hear about the sacrifices of brothers and sisters around the world, even as we prayed this morning, and yet we still, even as believers, we get stymied and we stop yet we have so many better things that we've seen. We often find ourselves being encumbered and weighed down with the affairs of this life. Now oftentimes, I know lots of people have approached this text and they try to determine what the weight and the sin that the writer's talking about here in verse number one. I believe the weight and the sin is related. The weight and the sin is a reference to unbelief. The great sin that weighs us down is unbelief. You know, even though you're a child of God, if you're saved today, you can still have periods of unbelief. Not necessarily to your not saved, but not trusting God to continue to move forward, not continuing in the way in which you should go. You can read all through the Scriptures, and you can find illustrations of people who struggle with unbelief, Moses struggled with unbelief at times. David struggled with unbelief at times. And yet, there is this principle of not only looking unto Jesus for our salvation, but looking unto Jesus even in our faith. Now he gives an illustration here in verse number 1. And he says we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, a great multitude of people who have believed in the past, But notice our eyes are not told to necessarily be directed towards those clouds of witnesses. In other words, we're not told to look to them first, we're told to look to Christ. It's stated as a fact, there are a cloud of witnesses who've gone on before you. You are not the first generation who have believed in Jesus Christ. We are tempted, we we are hindered by present seasons where we think we are the first generation of everything we think this is the way it's always been or we are this and we're so much better than that heaven is filled with people who've gone on before us this cloud of witnesses that he makes mentions to is directly related to the context of hebrews chapter 11. that cloud of witnesses does have something to do with these quote-unquote heroes of the faith but when our eyes are directed to christ we think about what Christ did. When Christ died on the cross and He went to the cross voluntarily, He looked past His suffering to the glory that awaited Him. If you don't look to Christ today and continue to look to Christ, you are going to be unable to run the race that the apostle, the the writer here says, this is the race that is set before you. We don't look to Christ one day and then never look at Him again. We look unto Christ every moment of every day. Just like there's not just one day of repentance. There's not just one day I repented. I repented of my sins 50 years ago. So you got 50 years worth of sins you haven't repented for then. Daily repentance. Looking unto Jesus. These witnesses... Again, there's been a cordial, sometimes not so cordial debate about who these witnesses are and what their purpose is. Some commentators, some preachers in the past have made these witnesses as just a matter of legal witnesses. Some take the approach that these are just historical witnesses. Some have even taken the approach that these witnesses are standing at the edge of glory and they're looking down and they're cheering us on. I don't take that position at all. I've heard a lot of camp meeting sermons around that, that you know what, you really, if you really want to do something for God, remember those cloud of witnesses. They're up there cheering you on. They're, they're, they're rah-rah on you like a cheerleader in heaven. I don't touch that at all, and I don't believe that's the case one bit. I believe that these cloud of witnesses are not speaking in this necessarily legal, historical, or simply cheering us on. But they are witnesses in the spiritual sense. They are meant to bring us to having seen their faith to consider why we, who have so much better things than they are, why are we still battling unbelief? If these people could battle what they battled and live through what they lived without seeing the fulfillment of the promises, why aren't we? They only had the promise of a Jesus that was coming. We already have the fulfillment of a Jesus who has come, and we're looking back now, and we know what's been accomplished. As we've stated, I I always think it's necessary. Someone like Abraham had no idea what the cross was. He didn't have a comprehension of a cross. He didn't have a comprehension of the crucifixion in the sense that we have it. They had a promise of a blood that was to be shed and a promised Messiah, but they didn't have all the details. Today, the church has given itself over to the fact that we can't just live and operate by faith. We need proof. We need evidence. Show me and then I'll believe. Belief and faith is to believe things that are not seen. Remember what the beginning of Hebrews 11 said. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And then Hebrews 11 proceeds to mention all of these people who died in the faith, but then it tells us they did not even receive the full fulfillment of the promise. We are to consider Jesus. On one side of our unbelief, we are told there is a great cloud of believers in glory, and then we have Christ. What did he do? He perfectly obeyed. It's one thing to say Jesus Christ was obedient under the cross, and that's one part of his redemption, but you realize he absolutely had to live a perfect life in his humanity. He kept the law perfectly, fulfilled it, never thought about breaking God's law, never thought about not obeying. We are to consider Christ in comparison to ourselves. You notice we're not asked to compare ourselves to Moses. We're not asked to compare ourselves to Joseph or to uh, to to Jacob or to Esau. We're to look to Jesus. You know it has to be said many times, the purpose of the Bible story, the Bible stories throughout the Bible is not to put yourself in the shoes of the character. You're not Daniel. You're not Joseph and a sling, slaying your giants with your five smooth stones. That's not what life is about. That's not what the intention was. You know, all you need to do is you just need to be a David. You need to line up that giant in your life and go get yourself some five smooth stones. And just remember, God's going to divinely, he'll orchestrate that. And he'll send that rock right between the eye of that giant. And that giant's going to come tumbling down. You're not David. You're not supposed to be David. These witnesses are not people that we're to look to and say, "Now that's who I'm looking to. No, I'm looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith. We are to consider him in comparison to ourselves. He ran the race set before him. He finished his course. He endured and was obedient to the giving of his life's blood. We who are saved by the blood stand in such a contrast to what Jesus did. We get bogged down in life. We get stalled by unbelief. We get weighed down by our own sin. And we are constantly determining and asking ourselves, do I really want to stay on this course? This may be a bold statement, but there's probably been a time in every one of your lives when you have thought about just quitting the faith. Maybe it's never happened to you. But to think... Sometimes life gets so difficult, that I just want to stop. Is this Christian life really worth living all this? Or some false teacher told you, hey, just pray this prayer, and all your life is gonna be perfect. He's gonna give you prosperity, you're not gonna have any trouble, and that cancer is gonna be removed, and you're not gonna have any folks. That's not biblical. That's that's false teaching. I'm sitting here telling you today that in, in Christ your life is probably gonna get more difficult, not easier. You say, we need a society that's giving us positive messages. Listen, that's the truth. Whether we want to accept it or not. Any of you who've been a Christian for any amount of time know life has not been easy and it's not getting easier. As a matter of fact, you feel more and more like a stranger in this world because this world is not lining up to what you are believing and you look at every side and you say, Why is this world so dark? And why do I feel like I don't belong? Because you don't belong here. That's the problem. Quit trying to fit in that you're supposed to just blend in with society. You are going to stand out like a sore thumb if you're truly running this race and running it with patience. Well, I don't like being rejected, I don't like being made fun of. No one does. Jesus Christ was not accepted as soon as people realized he wasn't going to do what they wanted him to do. They welcome him as a triumphal entry. They welcome, they're putting the palm leaves down and they're watching, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Now set up your kingdom. And he doesn't do that. And they say, crucify him. That's how quick we can turn. One minute, Hosanna. The next minute, Ah, crucify him. He didn't turn out to be what I thought he would be. Nobody told me the Christian life was going to be this hard. No one's going to tell me that I was still going to go through struggles and trials and afflictions. Yet you know, we're told to continually look unto Jesus. The disease or the weight that this writer is making mention of, I truly believe, is it is unbelief. The way that unbelief is manifested, unbelief causes us to turn back to some worldly element to find our satisfaction or to find our hope. We're constantly going back to our own works, things that we can see, not the things of faith, the things we can't see. We're being told we need to do this, we've got to do that, and if you don't do this, you don't do that. You must not really be in the faith. Your works are evidence and a fruit of your redemption. They are not saving you, nor have they ever saved you, and they won't keep you saved. It is Christ. Christ. Remember, unbelief always seeks evidence and it always seeks a proof instead of faith in Christ. Unbelief is not the absence of a belief. It's the absence of believing Christ. Everyone believes something here today. It's the internal struggle of the soul. It's the soul that says, what do I believe? Why do I believe it? We have a whole line, and again, I'm not against this, we have a whole line of apologetics where we've turned it into you argue your point of view, I argue my point of view, instead of just declaring, thus saith the Lord, here's what the Bible says, here's what he's declared, and standing on that. Just standing. Now again, I think we should engage. Don't get me wrong. But make sure that we're engaging on what's already been declared and just say, look, this isn't a matter of opinion. You know, sometimes people will tell us something that truly is not the truth, and we'll say something like this Well, I can see your point of view. I can respect it. But what if it's wrong? What if it's heresy? What if it is the very thing that's going to lead them away from Christ and going to lead them into eternal damnation? Do we not have an obligation to stand up for the faith? True faith brings all things that have to do with the acceptance before God and it stands before Christ's obedience alone. I'm standing before Christ as one of his today and before God on the merits of Christ alone, not on anything that I've done or anything that I will do. If that was the case, I've already committed five, five or more sins today, let's put it that way, that already should separate me from a holy God and so have you. You've already had a wicked thought today you shouldn't have said. You've already had a, a, probably a word you shouldn't have said to someone else. Folks, we are still sinners. That's why we say we're sinners saved by grace. The only righteousness I have is the righteousness of Christ. It's belief. Looking unto Jesus. Obedience is believing God. When the, when the Apostle Paul wrote to the, in the book of Romans, if you want to turn there briefly, Romans 10 verse 16 And this is in the this is in that passage where Paul gives his heart's desire he had a burden for Israel that they might be saved, he says in verse 1. And he talks about how they had a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Talks about being ignorant of God's righteousness and how they're, they're establishing their own righteousness. And he declares in verse 4, he said, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. The end of righteousness is in Christ and to those who believe. He goes on and describes what Moses described and how that these things... And in verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him, Jesus, from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Believe in him. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? You see what's happening there? How are they going to call on someone they haven't believed in? (laughs) Belief precedes the call. They're, They're going to have to believe. How shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. One of the great misnomers of the church is that the gospel is some kind of an invitation. No, it's a command. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. It's not considerate. Repent and believe. For Isaiah says, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily, their sound went into all the earth and their words unto the ends of the world. But I say, did not Israel know? First Moses said, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people and by a foolish nation will I anger you. But Isaiah is very bold and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. But to Israel, he said, all day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. It's always been about belief. It's always been about looking unto Jesus. Obedience is believing God. Back to our text now. Again, we've already covered these verses and we're not doing it necessarily in a line by line. We are touching on those, of course. But you'll notice that this looking this author and finisher faith is introduced as looking unto jesus he is described as our pattern our example it is in the witnesses whom the writer has been talking about in the preceding chapter that we see the great actions that are performed through faith but where did those actors go they all died They have, with the rest of mankind, have experienced the one event that is common to all. Ecclesiastes teaches us this. They descended to the grave. That one event, no matter who you are today, it's coming for you and it's coming for all of us. No one's going to escape that event. It's the most feared thing we talk about is death. Nobody wants to talk about it. I understand that. But that one event that's coming to all, believers and unbelievers alike, it's coming to all. And because there is this end, we are told to consider Jesus, to look unto Jesus. We see what perfect faith and perfect obedience looks like. I'm always amazed at the wording that is used here. Who for the joy that was set before Him. Now you tell me, humanly speaking, what joy did Jesus endure? Name one element of human joy that Jesus endured for sinners. Oh, the modern church wants Jesus to just be a good friend. They want Jesus to be the guy you can hang out with. They want Jesus to be your pal. They want Jesus to kind of be your bro. Let's use it that way. What kind of joy was he talking about? The joy of the cross. Study a crucifixion and tell me what the joy is. Study joy from the perspective of redemption and tell me the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross. He endured the cross, the joy that set before Him, the redemption of His people from this one event, from death, not just physical death, but from spiritual death. By His sacrifice, He ransoms them from the power of the grave. That's why Paul said, death has no sting. Where is your sting? Because in Christ, death is no longer stinging Because there's the hope of a resurrection. There's the hope of a resurrection to be forever in the presence of the Savior who died for you. He endured the cross, despised the shame of the cross. He took all the accusations that were falsely made against Him. He's accused and convicted of blasphemy because He declared equality with the Father and claimed to be God. They said this man is worthy of death. Here we see faith perfected. In every other instance in Scripture, I want you to understand this, in every other instance of Scripture when we see just humanity, we only see the beginning of faith. We never see the perfection of faith. Moses was not the perfect example of faith. None of them were. And if that was our standard, we would all fall short. My entrance into heaven has nothing to do with the faithfulness of Moses, the faithfulness of Joseph, the faithfulness of Abraham. It doesn't have to do with that specific. It has to do with the faithfulness of Jesus Christ because He perfected all that they could not perfect. They were held to the standard of keeping the law and reminded every day that they broke it. And yet Christ fulfilled it. We see in all these instances, we see Jesus Christ as the perfect, complete triumph of faith. We already saw that the writer says that the faithful under the old dispensation per se did not receive the promise. They were dead and buried. They were, so to speak, detained in the grave as one old preacher put it. But that we now, we behold Jesus after his unparalleled sufferings wearing that conqueror victorious crown where he told his disciples, I'm going to prepare a place for you. But I will not leave you comfortless. I'll send a comforter. The Holy Spirit of God and his presence in the believer is the evidence of saving faith. If you tell me today that you have faith in Jesus Christ and you're saved, but there's no Holy Spirit living in you, I'm going to question that profession because everyone who has professed and has true saving faith, the Holy Spirit dwells within them. When somebody says, how do you know you're saved? How do you know this is happening? Because I know the presence of the Spirit. I don't run to a particular time and an hour when I said I prayed this prayer to determine that's when I received it. I know it because the presence of the Spirit dwelling within me. Look what he says. After he finished as he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Sat down. It's completed. It's finished. There is no other work to be done. The suffering of the cross was endured because it led to His being seated at the right hand of the Father, which was His glory. Jesus Christ, the Son, wanted to return to the glory that He had with the Father. And that was at His right hand. For consider Him, verse 3 says, that endured such contradiction of sinners against Himself. He took on something that He was not. He who knew no sin became sin for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He became sin for us. There was nothing faulty in Jesus that put him on the cross. There was not a hint of sin in him. There was no thought that he thought about backing out. He didn't truly, when he said, I could call 10,000 angels, he never really thought about doing that. This whole redemption thing is over. I'm finished. I'm walking, I'm I'm coming down off this cross now. I'm not going to finish it. No, he said, consider him who endured such a contradiction. He who knew no sin became sin. Now, that's not a contradiction for you and I. Because the news you and I have to hear today is you're a sinner. And it's what man hates to hear the most. Well, I am not. I am not. Or we use the human standard. No, sinner is a really bad person. A sinner, let's take what the events of the day. A real sinner is Vladimir Putin. That's real sin. No, we're all equal sinners. We all are deserving of the wrath of God. I'm a moral upstanding man. I'm a moral upstanding woman. does not matter in the righteousness of Christ and what's required to stand before God, I'm glad that you are. I told somebody the other day, some of the most moral people I've ever met, I kid you not, are unbelievers. They have morals. I know a man right now in my mind that for years and years and years was the most moral man I ever met. But when the subject of Christ would come up, he would deny Christ, but he was moral. He was against everything that we as Christians would say we're against. And he was outside the body of Christ. What was he lacking? Belief. He refused to look unto Jesus. Years later, we get a message that he looked unto Jesus. And now suddenly, he is. Those morals that he had, they haven't changed. But now he's a believer. He believed that Jesus Christ is the author and finisher of his faith. And he says, consider him. And this is an interesting statement. Lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Why would I grow faint and weary? What's the connection here? Because remember, he's talking about the the weight and the sin which easily besets us back in verse 1 or knocks us off the race or knocks us out of the race. So when those times come of unbelief, Consider Him. Consider Christ. Don't consider your pastor's faithfulness. Don't consider your spouse's faithfulness or David's faithfulness or Moses' faithfulness. Consider Him that endured the cross, despising the shame. Because you are going to grow weary. Believers will be exposed to sorrow and affliction in this world. But you and I, no matter what we go through in this life, will never experience the sorrow in which Jesus experienced. We will never be afflicted with what He was afflicted with. And by considering Him and His original glory and the very depth of His humiliation and suffering in connection with the glory He now has, He says, I want you to consider that. So that when you suffer and you're prone to wonder... And you're prone to unbelief, I want you to consider the glory that's coming, and the glory that's coming because of the glory that Jesus Christ now experiences as it endured for you. Folks, I cannot give you an earthly prize to seek in this life to run this race, in this life to run it well. Churches are trying every gimmick in the world, and that's what they are they're gimmicks. We offer an earthly prize to follow Jesus. Shame on me. For a number of years, I bought into that foolishness. Look, if you want to be a real Christian, here's your checkbox book. Make sure you get all the boxes checked, and we'll give you a little treat at the end. And then we wonder why we're turning out half-inch deep Christians or non-believers at all. Churches are asking the question now, why is my 18-year-old fleeing out of church when they turn 18? Because they were never taught anything real. They've been given some counterfeit. And they've been told this is the gospel. This is the real Jesus. No, you just gave them a carrot and the carrot got to the place you couldn't entertain them anymore. I'm telling you what, (laughs) you try to entertain people to keep them? You can't put enough entertainment out there. We are 100% of our day, sadly, thriving after entertainment. It's being delivered right to you. You can't stand five minutes without being entertained. The church is standing on this truth. That's Christ. Those shallow teachings are not going to help you endure in this life. And when you come to step out into eternity, you are not going to be comforted on your deathbed by anything this world offered to you. Nothing. Because at that moment, there is nothing that can comfort you except the knowledge of knowing that I'm getting ready to step into eternity and I'm going to see my Savior face to face. That's the only comfort you're going to have. Your money's not going to comfort you on your deathbed. I don't care how much of it you acquire, you are not going to be comforted by that. I'm sure you're not going to say, Well, I'm dying, but at least I got a lot of money. It's not going to make one bit of difference. It's not going to make a difference what you did. It's not going to matter how much you gave. It's going to matter did you look unto Jesus? Did you look unto Jesus solely? We understand, and finally in verse 4, he says, Ye have not resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Now, no doubt, we read some of the accounts and the horror that these faithful people in Hebrews 11 endured. They had been called to a life of suffering, a life of misery. But isn't it interesting that he says, Ye have not yet resisted unto blood? The author is very much putting their life in perspective. I'm going to say this again, and I am probably sound like I'm beating a dead horse. But you and I, who are of the true church, you better get yourself prepared for real and unrelenting persecution. I don't know when and I don't know how. But if you're still living, thinking that this world is going to wake up friendly to Jesus Christ and his church, that suddenly one day it's going to be a happy place to be, you're not reading your Bible. It's interesting that he uses the terminology you have not yet resisted. Now, I realize the audience of the Hebrews at the time, he's writing to a different audience, but if we believe that this is the word of God for all generations, it's not a stretch to say, what have we resisted? I mean, truly today, if you were to ask yourself, what have you resisted today? Has it been unto blood? Probably not. But Jesus Christ, the captain and the author and the finisher of our faith, had done all of this, and he sealed our testimony and our righteousness with his blood. None of us have suffered what Jesus Christ has suffered. We understand today that life, even for the believer, is difficult. The life of faith is not easy. Again, if someone lied to you along the way and said it was going to be easy and this hasn't turned out, I apologize for them. But I will tell you that there is no other hope in this world. Jesus Christ is our only hope. I've been accused in the past of preaching Christ too much. I won't apologize for that. Mm -hmm. I've been accused of preaching the gospel too many times. I won't apologize for that. Mm -hmm. You don't need to preach the gospel on a Sunday morning. Oh, yes, you do. And on Wednesday night. Mm -hmm. And every time you have opportunity. Because just because you're seated here today does not mean you have looked unto Jesus. And it doesn't mean you're on your way to heaven. You're not doing God a favor by being in the house of God today. He's not impressed by your attendance. He's not looking at that saying, there's some, more, there's some more credit to your account. You're three to the good now. Just keep those three to the good and you're going to stay. Has nothing to do with it. Have I repented of my sins and believed on Jesus Christ alone? Period. The author and finisher of my faith. I can't look out at every one of you and know for sure and say, this is our faith. You may not be in the faith. But as I say at the end of every service, beg Jesus Christ, beg God to save you. Run to Christ as fast as you can. Say, I can't run to Christ, he'll turn me away. He has never nor will ever turn anyone away who comes unto him. Don't get caught up in all the things that you hear. He will not turn you away. But in the day that event comes, Don't blame God for your eternal damnation. Don't blame God for it. Because right now, you're being confronted with the reality, will I repent and believe this gospel? And if you say, I just won't believe, what have I been saying for the last two months specifically? God, help my unbelief. If that's what's holding you up, beg God to give you belief. Yeah, I don't want to do that. Why? Why? See, we always want to blame somebody for our actions. We always want to blame somebody for why things are gonna happen. We tell our kids all the time, why are you blaming somebody else for your wrongdoing? We adults do it more than the kids. when you get to be an adult, you won't blame people for my actions. We blame people now for more than we did as children. And even worse, we're less forgiving than the child is. You ever notice children are more forgiving than us adults? It's an amazing thing what they'll endure towards one another and they just move on. We hold a grudge for 50 years and say, well, that's my right. It's a terrible way to live, folks. Living in bitterness and unforgiveness. Jesus Christ himself Think about what he's forgiven and we don't forgive after what he's forgiven us for? Really, is that offense someone's done to you worse than how we've offended God? Absolutely not. Look unto Jesus. He seated there at the right hand of the throne of God, suffered every human indignity, suffered the anguish of the human heart and its obstinacy, but yet he finished the course. The only remedy for your unbelief today is belief and looking unto Jesus. I'm gonna pray, and then we're going to uh, conclude this portion of our time with a hymn. Uh, When we get to the hymn, um, we're going to get prepared for our baptism. Um, So uh, just bear with us. We're gonna sing through that one hymn. It'll be there as a redeemer here in just a moment. Um, If we're not ready up there, um, she's gonna play through another verse or two of another hymn. You don't have to sing that hymn. And uh, we'll be ready. As soon as we're ready up there, we will let you know. Let's go ahead and pray together first. Father, we do thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you that what we have heard and read today is the truth. I don't have to go out and find something to compare it to. I know the world will say what you've heard today, what you've read, that's just one opinion. But Lord, I pray that you would open blind eyes today and open those ears that are stopped up today. Open them up into belief. Lord, I cannot possibly know the heart of anyone here today. I cannot possibly know if they are truly in the faith. A man or a woman can make a profession of faith and they can rely on that profession and never truly have looked unto Jesus for their salvation And I pray, Father, even if there are those here today who've been trusting in someone or something else other than Christ, that today would be that glorious day of salvation. And that we would be so honored and privileged to be able to rejoice with them, how Christ saved them. Father, you've not called us to manipulate or to somehow try to persuade in a human term. You've just simply given us the command to repent and believe the gospel. Help those today that are struggling in their unbelief. And Lord, how we would give you all the glory and praise for it. Father, help us that are in the faith today, that continue to run the faith, run the race with patience. Help us and endure the suffering and the affliction that's coming. That when moments and hours of unbelief begin to creep into our lives, that we would consider Christ, consider Him. And that we would not lose sight of who Jesus Christ is and what he's done for us. Father, we love you and we thank you. And it's in Christ's name I pray and ask these things. Amen. Amen.